You're listening to Folk Scene. I'm Alan Larman. We'll be joined momentarily by Grammy Award winner and scholar Dom Flemons, later known as the American Songster. But first, let's hear the lead track off his stunning new album, Traveling Wildfire, and then we'll begin the conversation. This song is titled Slow Dance With You. Slow dance with you Darling, I ain't the perfect man But I see the sun's coming up And you're lovely wrapped in dawn Darling, take my hand Take your time, no rush We've got the band all night Forget the world just you and I Ain't got no expectations Got no questions to ask Darling, take that fear from your eyes Cause I wanna pull you close And slow dance with you Darling, I ain't the perfect man But I see the sun's coming up And you're lovely wrapped in dawn Darling, take my hand Someone, I'm missing someone too But it ain't about them tonight It's about two lost hearts And a bucket full of tears That are being left outside tonight Cause I wanna pull you close And slow dance with you Darling, I ain't the perfect man But I see the sun's coming up And you're lovely wrapped in dawn Darling, take my hand Darling, take my hand Dom Flemmons, American Songster, with the song Slow Dance With You. It's a lead-off track of his new Smithsonian Folkways album, Traveling Wildfire. Dom, can you explain how that song uh, sets the mood for this album, which is kind of a rebirth of both your own personal journey and the evolution of society, too? Well, yeah, with Slow Dance With You, I wrote that one, actually, quite a few years ago. I wrote that one back in 2008, and I kind of kept it in my back pocket for a while. And then when I was putting together this album, it felt like the perfect moment to bring together a sound that was a little bit more in line with country music. But then also, uh, just after the pandemic in the past several years, when I heard Slow Dance With You come back on the playback, when I got all the the tracks back from the studio, it made sense to me somehow. It felt like a very uh, 
open invitation to bring people into the album and just gave them something that was a little lighthearted, but not fully lighthearted, just like kind of like the times we're living in. So that was how I decided to put Slow Dance With You as the very first track, because I figured if people could get into this one, which kind of has the feel of an old 45, if I could get them into this one track, I could get them into the rest of the record. Now, what was the catalyst for making a more different sounding record? Well, you know, <laughs> last record that I did, Don Flemings Presents Black Cowboys, was a very concerted conceptual record where I stayed on a theme of African-American cowboys and their work in, in the Old West. And as I was starting to put together this new album, a lot of people were asking me, well, what's the concept this time? And so, as any artist would say, uh-oh, they're expecting a concept record. So I had to kind of take a, a step back and think to myself, how can I break away from the concept idea and really show people what I'm, I'm all about? Because I do write songs. I interpret a lot of traditional material, of course, but I do write songs and I, I keep them in my back pocket for the days that I might need them. And it felt like the perfect moment to showcase just something different from, from me and, and give people a sense of uh, um, my broad range of listening and as well as musical, um, you know, playing the songs and the type of styles I like to get into. Now, how big a role did Ted Hutt play in defining the sound of this album? Well, in terms of the final product, Ted had a really big role in it. Of course, uh, I had these songs written. I had about 30 of them laid out. And so I really let Ted take the lead on picking out which songs he thought were the strongest songs at first. And then once we were in the studio, there were a couple of moments, such as um, the song, If You Truly Love Me, for example. It didn't have a bridge at first. And as he heard me playing it, uh, Ted mentioned, hey, can you get a bridge together on that one? And so I made a bridge for that song. And so there were a lot of moments like that where uh, arrangement ideas were coming together. And then also a song like Songster Revival, I decided to split the writing credit with Ted because I had just a small little banjo instrumental I was working on. And when I presented it to Ted, he just went wholesale into that instrumental track and and expanded it out into a, a full-on melody which i hadn't done before so ted was essential for the sound of this album also one thing he brought into the session which was something new for me was uh, we created small beats because i had told him that when i did the album at prospect hill i had done rhythmic tracks and that i'd started uh, my musical journey or as a kid i guess playing the marching bass drum and so he, he wanted me to come up with beats that we could build the tracks upon. This was the first time I'd really done anything like this. A lot of pop records are put together in this way. And uh, he said, well, can you come up with some percussion? Oh, and I smiled. I said, sure thing. And so I got a big marching bass drum, and I started to create beats that would um, be the foundation for a lot of the material. So when you're hearing a song like Traveling Wildfire or It's Cold Inside, you'll hear a distinctive bass drum in the low end of the track and uh, that's me playing it so i was uh, also uh, pushed in a new direction by ted to create these sort of beats underneath the track and the foundation so it kind of created a slightly different sound than uh, i may have done if if i had done something else and how do you hook up with ted well i first started talking with ted back actually when i was with the chocolate drops back uh, i guess around 2012 i was i had uh considered working with him when we did the Leaving Eden album. It didn't end up happening or anything like that. But I had heard 
Ted's wonderful record with Old Crow Medicine Show Remedy back in 2014. And I really liked the way that Ted put the sound of Old Crow into sort of a new space. I don't know, there was something really unique and beautiful about that record. And he also worked with them, the previous record as well, Carry Me Back. And so I was a really big fan of that part of the sound. I also was a big fan of Flogging Molly and, and some of the other groups that he had been involved with uh, early on. And so I thought it was a great match. And so when I had the chance to finally work with him, it was just um, a beautiful experience. Uh, Ted and I had a lot of mutual respect for each other. And as we've gotten to know each other, we've found that we have very similar interests in, in a lot of different types of roots music and also the researching of the deeper pockets of roots music. And that was something that was really beautiful about working with him. And you record that in Los Angeles? That's right. I wanted to break away from just the, my familiar spaces. And with when working with Ted, I just, you know, I, for the first time, I decided to let the producer take control. You know, uh, on my previous records, like, like Black Cowboys, that was co-produced by Dan Shahey and myself. But with Black Cowboys, it was such a sparse arrangement of material, and, and the arrangements were very uh, straight ahead. It was sort of like me, and then Dan was kind of like making sure that everything held together properly. And then, of course, before that, Prospect Hill, I produced that myself wholesale. And when I started to work with Ted, I wanted to just let him tell me what I should be doing. And this was the first time I, I let a producer um, take the material and the ideas I had put together myself and let it happen as it may. I'll say it that way. And Ted did a wonderful job with that. And and so that was something really great. Um, one of the other ways that, that I really appreciate Ted was the musicians he brought into the studio. Because I had maybe mentioned that I wanted to use some pedal steel. I mentioned that maybe I might want some drums, another guitar player, something like that. And he brought in some really wonderful session musicians. Of course, Matt Penn is playing the the magnificent pedal steel on there. David Hidalgo Jr. is playing the drums on there, especially on a song like uh, Dark Beauty. He's playing some beautiful drum set. Uh, he also had LaShawn Haley, who sings with Dust Bowl Revival, come in and do some amazing backup vocals as well. Mark Orell from the Dropkick Murphys, he came in and played a, a wonderful pump organ from the World War One era that uh, really just uh, created a, an amazing atmosphere and that was kind of what I wanted to do, just like a lot of my records ever since I left the Chocolate Drops. I really want to emphasize where the studio can go with a, an artist and a musician that's rooted in tradition. Because a lot of times we don't tend to think of traditional music in the same line that maybe jazz musicians might think of the studio, where it's all acoustic music, but the experimentation that can go on is something that, um, I don't know, sometimes we forget about that in Roots music, that we can really go to some really different places. And, of course, songs like Nobody Wrote It Down or another example of taking sort of this expansion of acoustic sound and turning it into something very cinematic in a lot of ways. Now, how difficult will these songs be to perform solo in concert? I always like to think about my music when I am uh, recording it, I try to think about performing it solo live as well. So I always try to think about that when I'm recording it. So yeah, all the songs on the album, I can play those live. And so I have my own solo versions that I put together. We're visiting with Don Flemons on Folk Scene, coming to us from his home in Illinois. You're in Urbana? Is that where you're at? Well, I'm over more towards Chicago in Naperville. So I'm 
So I'm a little more toward the city, a little west of the city in DuPage County. Yeah, I moved up here just as the pandemic really started to uh, encroach upon everyone's lives, uh, right toward the end of 2020. And it's been good. I like it over here. It's a really beautiful area, beautiful town. We're with Don Flemings on Folk Scene. We just talked about Nobody Wrote It Down. We're going to hear that song, followed by Tough Luck, from his new album on Smithsonian Folkways, Traveling Wildfire. Here's Don Flemings on Folk Scene. Granddaddy was a runaway slave A noose around his neck if he be found Great great granddaddy rode for Pony Express But nobody rode it down Great granddaddy was a buffalo soldier In the Platte River he almost drowned Took an arrow through his left shoulder But nobody wrote it down Nobody wrote it down In the history books it can't be found Nobody wrote it down Nobody wrote it down My granddaddy on a cattle drive up to Montana from Abilene Town Shot two rustlers to stay alive But nobody wrote it down Nobody wrote it down In the old dime novels it can't be found Nobody wrote it down Nobody wrote it down Nobody wrote it down In the history books it can't be found Nobody wrote it down, nobody wrote it down
was Don Flemings on Folk Scene with two songs from his new album, Traveling Wildfire, on Smithsonian Folkways. We heard Nobody Wrote It Down, ended the set with Tough Luck. Now, I know Nobody Wrote It Down. That's a song you wrote in a collaboration. Can you tell us about that? There was a, a conceptual album that was put together called Moja, a musical saga. And it was written by a fellow, Carl Gustafson. And in the course of this project, just to kind of give you a little sense of what Moja is about, it's about five generations of an African-American man's story where he goes all the way from West Africa all the way to the United States and all of the trials and travails that happen within those five generations. Uh, when Carl Gustafson finished writing this masterpiece, right toward the end he realized that he hadn't addressed the black cowboys in any sort of way. And it just so happened when he realized this was missing, he saw my album, Black Cowboys, and he reached out to me. And he, Billy Branch, the wonderful blues harmonica player, and myself, we sat down and we co-wrote two songs for the project. One's called Freedom to Decide, which was a story of a fellow uh, going out on the range and finally having the freedom to decide to do whatever he feels like doing. So that was one song we wrote. And the second song was Nobody Wrote It Down. Now, one of the things that was so interesting about Nobody Wrote It Down is that Carl, uh, he's from Wyoming, and uh, Billy Branch in the Chicago area, but traveled back and forth between California and Chicago. 
And the two of them found a connection where Carl, uh, his great-grandfather, I believe, might have met Billy's great-grandfather because Billy found out his maternal ancestors came from Wyoming as well, the same place where Carl's family uh, lived. And so there was a connection there. And even for myself, you know, I have my own history going back into uh, Western roots, going from Texas all the way into Arizona. So we, we started working on this song, and I was so moved by the way the lyrics and the melody and the structure of the song came together, I knew I had to record it on my own album. So Billy Branch sings the one on Moja, so I'm just playing backup guitar. But then for the album Traveling Wildfire, it seemed like a perfect fit. So um, I just thought the powerful lyric of having a full family genealogy that's linked to the West and the development of African-American culture just was so intriguing to me. And then on that one, I got to pull out my, uh, my guitar chops with the brand new Hoffner electric guitar, which I picked up. So I got to show a little bit of those, uh, those chops off on that one. Now, aren't you mostly a solitary kind of writer? Most of the time, you know, I've, I've opened up to new opportunities over the years, like, Carl and, and Billy and I writing Nobody Wrote It Down, that was a very new experience for me. But if someone reaches out, I'm all about co-writing. And that's something I just, I really take a lot of joy in having collaborations with other musicians. But it's kind of a new thing. And that's, I guess, would be the only song that's a, a full co-write. A songster Revival is sort of a co-write of an instrumental number. But yeah, everything else was um, written by me. I, that's how I usually work. So it's been a nice new venture. You know, every, you know, nice to try new things. And we also heard Tough Luck. Where did the inspiration for that song come from? Well, with Tough Luck, the first time I was made aware of the song was when I would uh, spend time with Joe Thompson. So to give a little bit of context, when I was performing with Joe Thompson in the Carolina Chocolate Drops, uh, I would drive Joe home from the gigs. And so... In the course of driving back to his house, we would talk a lot about the music that he grew up with, as well as contemporary music to his time. Like he told me he got to see Blind Boy Fuller a whole bunch of times in person, and that was really neat. And so one of our conversations, he was telling me about his uncles and his father, who used to play string band music, and they were born in the 1880s. And he mentioned that Tough Luck was a song that they used to sing together and they used to play out. And so the only recording I have ever heard of Tough Luck is one that was made by Clarence Ashley, and it's on one of his Folkways albums. And so I took that song and I added two extra verses as well as a bridge section. And then I decided to play it on a gourd banjo, which was made for me by Bob Thornburg, who's actually out there in California. And I met Bob through Mike Seeger and, um, he makes these beautiful gourd instruments. And so I have a picture actually in the liner notes of the album showing this gourd banjo, which has um, a symbol on the back, Sankofa, which is um, one of the proverbs from the Gold Coast of Africa, which means go back and fetch it and bring the things from the past into the present and to the future. And so I wanted to present all of that in, in a single track. And fast forwarding back to some of those marching bass drum songs, uh, and some of those beats I was telling you about, I wanted to showcase that sort of underpinning of Afro-Caribbean music with the beats on the bass drum. And then I have Ted Hutt playing the rhythm guitar with me on it. Now, is that the big head banjo you're talking about? 
Now, Big Head Joe, I only used that one on two different ones. Now, the Bob Thornburg one is actually a, a gourd banjo, so it's a gourd-bodied banjo, and uh, that one has its own particular style of uh, and sound. But Big Head Joe, the giant six-string banjo, which you just mentioned, I used that one on Saddle It Around, um, the Reverend Gary Davis number, as well as Songster Revival. And so that one there is a special banjo because um, it was made by a fellow named Robert McGinnis, who was an African-American luthier who actually made the instruments for the Clef Club Orchestra, which was led by World War I veteran James Reese Europe. And so uh, Big Head Joe has his own history to it, which I talk about in the essay in the liner notes in a little bit more detail. But yeah, there's a, both very special banjos that I have in my repertoire. How many instruments do you play, Dom? Well, I play about uh, 16 instruments in terms of playing. On this album, I play, I think, at 15 instruments altogether. On this album, Traveling Wildfire, everything from my acoustic guitars, my gourd banjo, Big Head Joe, and also uh, the Hofner electric guitar, rhythm bones, <laughs> snare drum, uh, bass drum, and a few other ones. I'd have to have the list right in front of me. And I decided I wanted to bring all of these different tones into the album because it satisfies a little bit of every part of my, my musical soul, including that Hofner electric guitar, which was a fairly new purchase when I went into the studio with it. Um, a lot of people know the Hofner electric by its electric bass version because Paul McCartney played one in the Beatles. But I happened to come across a wonderful album of a blues man who actually lived in San Diego. His name was Thomas Shaw. And there's this really wonderful record, Thomas Shaw, I think 1972 is what it's called. And on the cover, he's playing a Hofner electric guitar. And it sort of struck me strange because, it, oh, I didn't know that the Hofner violin body was done in a six string guitar. And so I just kept my eye out for one. And I found a beautiful little Hofner that um, just uh, rings beautiful all over the record. Everything from Nobody Wrote It Down to Dark Beauty. And then also I have it on Traveling Wildfire, the title cut. I saw Thomas Shaw play a few times San Diego Folk Festival. He was fantastic. Oh, man, I envy you for that. Yeah, I, I heard him and I had never heard of him before. But man, what a player. Really great. Visiting with Dom Flemons on Folk Scene, his new album, Traveling Wildfire and Smithsonian Folkways, his website, theamericansongster.com. We're going to go right now to a very different track by you. It's Cool Inside, and we'll come back and talk about that afterwards. It's Folk Scene. Snow, lead me 
that you thought would never die Did you know that it would haunt you when you put a bullet between its eyes It's cold inside There are pictures on the wall seem to say it's better to have dreamed and lost than to never dreamed at all bitter cold is the morning holding hands with the night brain is burning with memory Folks, I'm Alan Larman. We just heard Don Flemings from his really great new album called Traveling Wildfire, a song called It's Cool Inside, which he has a great video for. This song has a totally different vibe. So does the um, title song, too. It almost reminds me of Leonard Cohen. Yeah, I was reaching back into my early years of songwriting, thinking about that, you know, and also we've lost Leonard Cohen in recent years. So I felt a little more comfortable with a song like It's Cold Inside because at the time that I wrote it back in 2014, Leonard Cohen was still very active, so I wasn't sure if I really wanted to put in a song out in that style. But, you know, once I had the Hofner electric guitar and also I was able to just kind of sink into it in this album, it made a really wonderful sound when I was able to juxtapose my acoustic guitar next to the Hofner electric 
and it was fun. It was really nice to get back to some of that early sound, especially like the first uh, songs of Leonard Cohen album, and, and maybe even like the uh, the third album, uh, Songs of Love and Hate. And I've always been a fan of those types of singer-songwriters. Of course, there's Leonard Cohen. Then I recently was interviewing with Eric Anderson on my radio show, American Songster Radio. And Eric's always been such an inspiration. It's Cold Inside. I wrote that one back in 2014, sort of in a time where I was in limbo. And I was just sort of in a very dark space. And I left the song alone for many years because I, it, it felt like it was too uh, revealing. And it felt like it was too dark of a, a theme for what I was doing at the time. And then when I put together this album, I decided to revive it and everybody just said, hands down, you gotta put It's Cold Inside on the record. So I was glad to commit that one to Wax. And then when it came to Traveling Wildfire, that came from a more recent experience. I guess that was the fall of 2021. I went to play a gig at Bonnaroo in Tennessee um, I got caught in, in this horrible hurricane, Hurricane Ida, which blew up the, I guess, the southern seaboard. And I was going from Arkansas over to Tennessee, and my family and I were in the van, and we almost got just blasted by this, this hurricane. It blew so hard that it actually canceled Bonnaroo for the year. And my family and I were then trapped in a hotel for like three days. And so I started writing the song because recently there had been a dark moon that had been showing in the skyline. And so I wanted to write about the dark moon at first, but then I found that the traveling wildfire, which was going on in California at that time in Southern California, it was just, there was just these horrible fires that were on the television while inside my hotel room, the rain was just blasting us. So I started to think about both those things juxtaposed together. And then that's why I wrote traveling wildfire sort of thinking about Leonard Cohen and Eric Anderson and sort of those those old-time singer-songwriters. And I've always been influenced by those guys because um, I studied English in college and I got a BA in English. And then they my college actually had me back as a doctorate this last year. And so I was thinking back on on my older writing days, hadn't how to how to write an engaging narrative and those types of things. And so that's how those songs came together. Tell us how your dad introduced you to country music. Well, you know, my dad always listened to country music. Being from northern Arizona and Flagstaff, by the time he went down to Phoenix, he was aware of all the country songs that were on the radio because there was only one radio station in town in Flagstaff at that time. And so he became familiar with that. You know, at the time also, being the later part of the 60s, everybody was still wearing suits and slacks and everything. And so he was one of the guys that came down and was wearing Wrangler jeans. And people thought it was a very odd thing for, for a black man to be wearing just what they considered cowboy wear. My dad was always aware of country music in one form or another. And so that's how I got introduced to uh, people like Buck Owens. And uh, he would talk about Hank Williams and Johnny Cash and people like that. And that was my introduction to country music was from him. What do you think are the similarities between blues and country music? Well, there are a lot of similarities. You know, these are people's stories. These are songs about love, especially between uh, two people. I, I was going to say a man and a woman, but, you know, two people in love with each other. And um, you can find the strains of emotion that are a part of love, whether it's love gained or love lost. 
um, they just have slightly different ways that they go about it. You know, with country music, you tend to have a pedal steel, and with blues, you tend to have an, an electric guitar playing a solo, but they still end up telling the same story at the end of the day. And then also sort of the ways that you have deep emotions that are seated within those relationships that you place all your confidence into. And when they don't work out, you know, the blues is that way that you can overcome those emotions. Same thing with country music. You know, country music likes to sit down and have a drink with it. And um, the blues tends to have a drink uh, outside, <laughs> you know. And so I, I'm always switching back and forth between the two because musically there's something that can be gained with three chords and the truth. When you ask most African-American blues musicians, they all say they listen to country music. And you talk to most country musicians, they say they listen to the blues. Well, you know, that's the thing. The, the country music and blues music, you know, a record has no color to it. And so when you're listening to a record, if you're not thinking about the artists themselves, race is the last thing that comes to mind. You might think about it if you want to analyze the voice, but even voices are something that you can build upon, you know? And so with blues musicians, you know, when they listen to country music, they love hearing a story. Country music is a lot of storytelling, while blues tends to be a lot of stories being told through emotions. And it's very easy to see why musicians have always wanted to cross over back and forth, because you can always take a few ideas from uh, someone that's across the street from you. And then also we have a lot of moments in country music history, like... Um, you know, people like B.B. Like King, for example, one of my favorite covers of a country music song he did was Nightlife by Willie Nelson. Or I might think about, a, if I were to think of a country musician, like I think about someone like uh, Bill Haley, you know, known for Rock Around the Clock. I've always loved his version of Shake, Rattle, and Roll. And, you know, that's a big Joe Turner number, but it shows that people are always listening for a new sound because music is not defined by race alone. We're visiting with Don Flemons on the folk scene, his great new release, Traveling Wildfire, on Smithsonian Folkways. We're going to go two more tracks right now, and we'll come back and talk about them. We talked a little bit before about the Gary Davis song, Reverend Gary Davis. But let's first hear Settle It Around, followed by a Bob Dylan cover, Guess I'm Doing Fine. This is Don Flemons, the American songster on folk scene. from now Tell me where you come from now I'm from far out in the country I'm from far out in the country How you get your living done On my rack and pony What your horse is living on Give them corn and water Down the road I got arrested Police took me to the jailhouse What they do? Brought me for a cruel old judge That judge gave me a heavy sentence Then what I say to him 
Judge, you know I ain't never been here before What'd he say to me? Give you six months, you ain't coming back no more Now the judge, he was so cruel to me And he would not let me go So I'm just sitting here in the jail Thinking back on the country like that. Sometimes that train be going off the track though, go like this. Trouble in this 
was Don Fleming's American Songster on Folk Scene, two songs from his new album, Traveling Wildfire, on Smithsonian Folkways, a Bob Dylan cover, Guess I'm Doing Fine, and Saddling Around by Reverend Gary Davis. That's a very unusual Reverend Gary Davis song, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit, you know. Uh, it was a couple years ago. I was on a radio program with a friend out in Canada, and he sent down a playlist of a bunch of songs that were cowboy songs. And this Reverend Gary Davis number popped up on the playlist, and I happened to hear it, and I wondered, I thought to myself, who is this? I couldn't recognize the style. The voice seemed somewhat familiar. But when I saw it was Reverend Gary Davis, I was absolutely shocked because people that are familiar with Gary Davis know that he's a very specific type of idiosyncratic picking that defines every one of his songs. And Saddle It Around was one of the first times I heard him picking in a style that was more reminiscent to someone like Mississippi John Hurt than to Reverend Gary Davis in terms of individual style. So that got me interested to start. It also reminded me of the song Spike Driver Blues by John Hurt. So I was also excited to find another song that was built around one chord. And as I decided to start performing the song out, I reached out to my good friend, Stefan Grossman, who I'd worked with for many years. 
And Stefan then sent me a, a great interview he did with Reverend Gary about this song, Saddle It Around. And this was one that goes back to Gary Davis's early years in, in Lawrence County, South Carolina. And he learned this when he was a boy from a husband and wife guitar duo that he had met out there. And so this song also tells the story about a black cowboy who gets arrested for no reason and is just put into jail just for being. And when I first heard the song, it was, I guess, maybe January of 2020. And so I thought it was a very provocative number for the storyline. Then, of course, as 2020 began to move forward, all the protests around George Floyd and all of these ideas about uh, misrepresentation of black people began to start to be a part of the national conversation. I was even more emboldened to take on the song, saddle it around and begin to perform it out uh, just to show that there is some continuity through these horrible uh, mistreatments of, of black people that have gone on for many, many years. So when I started to play it, it was sort of a fragmentary number at first. And when talking to Stefan, it was beautiful also to see that, that Stefan got so excited about me playing the song. He sent me an additional set of lyrics that uh, he had gotten from another recording from his own archives. And so I was able to really craft a full narrative out of the song instead of it just being just a few fragments, which um, how it had been originally recorded. And Stefan also mentioned in passing, he said that, uh, could I ask him, I said, when did, when did Gary start playing this song? And Stefan mentioned that after Gary saw Mississippi John Hurt at the Gaslight Cafe for the first time in the mid-60s, this was the moment in which Gary... Um, started to remember this old song, Saddle It Around. So in some ways, it, it kind of brought full circle to what I thought about the song, hearing it with no one telling me anything about it, all the way to that, that history going right there. So that's kind of the everything about Saddle It Around. Of course, that one has my guitar and Big Head Joe in it. And then also we utilize the bass drum in that one as well, toward the end part, where I kind of I do a little extra picking in there that kind of a, is more reminiscent of some of the stuff that Gary Davis did. Now, you reached out to Dylan's people about what song to cover on this album. How did they come up with this one? Well, back in 2012, I was fortunate enough to meet Bob Dylan briefly in passing. And so I've been able to be in touch with his people. I was just trying to think to myself, because by that point, I had the song Song to JCB on my list from Eric Anderson. So I was trying to think of ways to juxtapose the folk revival singer-songwriters. And so I thought to reach out to Bob Dylan's people to see if well, at first I thought maybe I could grab a song that was unreleased and maybe co-write something on that. But when I heard back from Jeffrey Rosen, his manager, he had four or five different songs that I guess that Bob picked out himself to pass in my direction. And Guess I'm Doing Fine was there. And I have always loved the song Guess I'm Doing Fine. Way back when I first started to perform, I had this bootleg CD and it was called the Genuine Bootleg Series. I bought this at an underground record store that was in Phoenix, Arizona at the time. And so it was sort of like, you know, thumb in its nose at the Bootleg Series, the official Bootleg Series. But the Genuine Bootleg Series had a few of the Whitmark demos on the CD. And so Guess I'm Doing Fine and another song, Long Time Gone, were on this CD. And so when I heard Guess I'm Doing Fine, fast forwarding almost a decade and a half later, I was more than happy to take on the song and also take on its powerful lyrics of resilience and sort of like, you know, beating against the odds 
And then also for the Dylan fans out there, this is also a song that is sort of a transitional composition for Dylan. It was recorded in January of 1964. It's sort of like the last of the topical songs that Bob Dylan would write in the 1963, in the mid and late 1963. And it sort of starts reaching into the introspective mode that he would go into in 1964, going into the album Another Side of Bob Dylan. So I was intrigued by that song for that as well. And then when I was cutting it in the studio, I thought back on a moment uh, years back when I was in Rocky Grass, where uh, Del McCurry and Sam Bush were playing a duo show together. And most of the show was Monroe Brothers, mandolin and guitar, as you might expect from Del and Sam. And then they had one song in which they switched instruments, and Dell got the five-string banjo, and Sam got his fiddle out. And I had not heard Sam Bush play fiddle before, and I was just so knocked out by that, that that stayed in my mind up until we were in the studio, because uh, I could tell a fiddle needed to be there. And so first name that came to mind, I said, let's get Sam Bush if we can get him. And then, of course, Sam did a bang-up job on this one. And we spent a lot of time trying to make sure that Guess I'm Doing Fine was Dylan-esque, you know, because I'm a big Dylan fan. But I didn't want to be exactly like Bob Dylan trying to sing exactly like he did. And I'm sure he wouldn't have liked that either. And so we tried to figure out a way to, to get the best of both worlds. I really enjoyed the episode of your American Songs radio show, the Black Bob Dylan covers. That was really fascinating. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a part of his, uh, his catalog or a part of his musical influence that people don't generally tend to think about. And of course, with me, I'm always gravitating toward interesting Bob Dylan covers, just in general, because people are always covering his stuff. But when I started to think about the idea of Black Dylan covers, I first had made a, a couple of playlists before I made the show, just to see how many I could find. And I found that I had five playlists worth of just different artists, different eras, different ways of expressing Dylan's numbers. And I was glad to finally bring it together on American Songster Radio. I'm, I'm thinking of even doing a second episode of Black Dylan covers because there's just so much to work with. And of course, guess I'm doing fine. I'm glad to be able to jump into the milieu and, and be a part of uh, African-American artists who have appreciated Bob Dylan's wonderful words and melodies. It just shows how much Bob Dylan got in people's heads back in that time. They say Sly Stone was a huge Bob Dylan fan. Oh, yeah, I can, I can only imagine. You see, the, the thing is, a song, a good song is a good song at the end of the day. And that was one of the things I wanted to do, especially when I was trying to think of the songs that I was not writing on Traveling Wildfire compared to the songs I was writing. So I had to try to figure out how could I juxtapose songs that would showcase both sides of my musical orbit that I wanted to create for the album. And even Sam Cooke, he, once he heard Blowing the Wind, he covered that song. And they say that he wrote A Change Is Gonna Come based on Bob Dylan. Absolutely. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. I like the really weird covers. Have you ever heard Mr. Tamarine Man by Confunction? No, I've never heard that one. Here, I'll make a little note of that here. It's like a funk version of Mr. Tamarine Man, but it totally transcends the song. Just, uh, I think a lot of like, a, I think a lot of brothers would cover like songs to, I don't know how I word it, to make it sound more funky. Like we can make, we can make the song sound funky. Just like a challenge almost, you know? Without a doubt. And that was like when I started the episode out, I wanted to use Billy Preston's version of She Belongs to Me. And, you know, if anybody just hears the song um, from Bringing It All Back Home, it has its own particular vibe. But to hear 
Billy Preston, and then they even add a bridge. You know, that was one part of the show that I mentioned was that a lot of the artists would add bridges when the songs weren't there, you know? So like, she belongs to me. It's like, she wears an Egyptian red wing that sparkles before she speaks. And then she's a hypnotist collector. You are a walking antique. She belongs to me. She belongs to me. You know, so that I even found musical structures even changed in very, very different ways. Or um, Betty Levette's version of Don't Fall Apart on Me Tonight, vastly different than the version from the album Infidels. Or um, one other one that was great was the McCrary sisters doing the song Ring Them Bells. That made my wife laugh because she loves the show Greenleaf, um, which, you know, is a, is a program that was on. And at the end of the episode, it's about a black church in Memphis. And, Sure enough, at the end, they had a big sermon going on, and then the choir starts singing Ring Them Bells, and I said, oh, it's a Dylan number, a Dylan number. <laughs> and so, and so that, that episode was a hoot to put together. Tell us about your radio show, American Songster Radio Show. Sure, well, American Songster Radio, it started out as me wanting to just find some way to express myself musically in a different way than just getting on stage. I have all these records in back of me here, and and I like to try to just show people what, what I've been listening to, the things that I've loved for many years, and also hopefully turn people on to some new music, whatever it might be. And so this season we're focusing on Traveling Wildfire, so we're playing a lot of records. But at the inception of American Songster Radio, it started out as a way for me to talk with my friends who are musicians, especially the ones that are very famous and get a chance to talk to them about some of the interesting stories that that we might have talked about on the side somewhere along the line. I have to, of course, give a lot of credit to my dear friend Taj Mahal, and he had a particular series of stories he was telling me at one point, and I thought to myself, man, I wish I could get Taj's stories down. I wish I could sit with him and have a great interview where we just went beyond what's your new album? What are you doing these days? And get into some of these very interesting stories. Like he had told me this really interesting story about hanging out with Mississippi John Hurt because the cover of his album, Recycling the Blues and other related stuff, has a picture of he and John Hurt standing next to each other. So just to be able to ask him about that was sort of the premise around American Songster Radio. And of course, in the, the past season we had last year, I had Billy Strings on. And I was asking Billy, you know, like, how do you feel about blowing up so big in the bluegrass world and into the bigger pop world, as well as uh, asking him questions about, you know, what do you think about when you're soloing? You know, because Billy's kind of a, is sort of a, a, a savant of bluegrass in terms of how he solos. And so I wanted to ask him about that. Or when it came to the interview with Branford Marcellus, with him having worked on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, we're sitting in the studio, and I'm asking him about Ma Rainey's music, and he was telling me that it was kind of a new venture for him to jump into 20s jazz. And so I thought to myself, well, that's a great way to start off. How, you know, like, what does Branford Marcellus think about 1920s jazz, and what sort of things can be talked about that would um, show these aspects of, uh, of his musical journey going into Ma Rainey, and then what does that mean? going forward or even Steve Martin you know just I just was glad to be able to sit down with Steve Martin and just have a full interview asking him about his whole life as a banjo player 
just, you know, trying not to move the comedy out of the way, but seeing what does the banjo mean to you, Steve, and kind of, you know, who's got you started off, you know? And he had some great stories as well. But that was sort of the premise around American Songster Radio, just to be able to kind of pick people's brains, you know, people that are friends of mine, but also they're well-known musicians, you know, and just, just hearing what they have to say. Now, you co-host that with your wife, right? Yeah, this season we, we brought Vania in. She's um she's just been wonderful as a co-producer on American Songster Radio. And we had an episode where she wanted to celebrate my 40th birthday on the air. And there was such wonderful response from that. We decided to, to have her on this whole season of American Songster Radio. We'll probably just have her on forever then now, you know. she's It's gotten to the point now where I have to go to the record store first before she goes in to make sure that I can get my records first so she doesn't get all the good ones before I do. I want to ask you real fast when closing um, about your contribution to the Mac McCormick box set that's coming out. Ah, yes, the Mac McCormick box set, the collection of legend from the legendary folklorist Mac McCormick. I contributed an essay to the box set because I, like most people, have heard the legends heard all of the different ways that Mac was a very eccentric guy and how he had all this stuff in his like back catalog that was ready to be revealed. And it was really amazing to hear this box set and really get to see that Mac was not fooling anybody with this. There are some amazing recordings and also very foundational early recordings by some of the people that we already know, people like Lightning Hopkins and Mance Lipscomb in this box set playing for the man at the door. There are some of the very first recordings of Lightning Hopkins playing for a white audience, for example. To hear someone like Lightning Hopkins and hear the first recordings of him playing for a white audience at the Texas Folklore Society or Mance Lipscomb playing so different blues for the very first time for somebody who was Mac, Um, These are some of the first sort of ventures you can have in this box set. But then as you go deeper into it, you find all of these unknown players who no one ever heard except for the one time that Mac McCormick sat down with his microphone. It's a very, very, very amazing set. We're visiting with Don Flemons coming to us from his home in Illinois. His new release on Smithsonian Folkways, Traveling Wildfire, the previous release, Don Flemons Presents Black Cowboys, his website, theamericansongster.com. We're going to close right now with the title song, which you already explained to us. But, Dom, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's always great talking with you. Thank you so much, Alan. It's such a pleasure. Thank you again for having me on the program. Here's Dom Flemons on Folk Scene with the title song off his new album, Traveling Wildfire. Traveling wildfire Sprawling like an endless gravel You can see it tearing up the mountainside It goes where it wants to go Cry, look. 
looking at the flames Orange to yellow, burning to white There's a traveling wildfire Blazing into the valley There's a dark moon in the valley Covered in clouds made of clay And the winds roll in scowl and voice Will make the Mississippi
And I spend my time Looking for a place soft and warm That was Don Flemons on Folk Scene with the title song off his new album, Traveling Wildfire. We've been listening to Folk Scene today's very special guest, Don Flemons, coming to us from his home in Illinois. I'm Alan Larman. This program was produced by Peter Cutler. <laughs>